So hello, regular trues. Hello and welcome to episode number 30. So today's a little bit of a special episode. We're going to be talking about the history of Her Interactive. Mm-hmm. Well, aren't you a regular Nancy Drew? We sure hope so, and we hope you are too. Join us as we talk Nancy Drew cover to cover and click to click. Welcome to Regular Nancy Drew. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. (laughs) Listen. Um, we are, you know, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to say we're gonna, we're not going to trash talk cause we're not trash talkers. Um, no. and we love her interactive and her interactive PC games, but we're not going to shy away from the hard topics just cause they might be hard. Um, they're very here. relevant. Um, and yeah, and obviously very interesting to us as fans. So yeah, I mean, we wouldn't be making a podcast episode about it if we didn't absolutely love these games, love everything that this company, well, almost everything that this company has ever produced. Um, and yeah, like we said, we're not trying to trash anybody. I know that these are real people that worked very hard mm-hmm. for this company and on these, these products. Um, so it, it's not a dig at any particular person, you know, some of the, the more gossipy things that we're going to talk about. But we do love the tea, Corey. <laughs> there is, there are definitely some interesting tidbits, some interesting decisions that this company has made along the way. But yeah, we've also, I mean, in doing our research, I've learned a lot of things about the earlier days of this company that are kind of cool as well. Yeah. I guess before we get started, I just want to uh, thank some of our, our sources here that we've come across in in the process of our research. Um, a lot of this information just came directly from Her Interactive's website, um, also from the Wayback Machine, like older versions of their website and of American Laser Games, which we'll talk about them in just a minute here. But um, also, I want to thank Hugh Miller of Nancy Drew Walkthroughs, Carter of the Nancy Drew Times, and Kalina Herman of Little Jackalope Story Retold, um, because all of their websites and the content that they've put online has been, um, uh, you know, I didn't talk to them in the course of this, but just going through their websites and looking through the content that they've posted. They've got some really, really interesting things on their YouTube channels or their websites. So definitely go check them out if you are interested in learning more. And I want to say here, because I, so we talked about doing this topic, episode topic, probably at the very beginning when we mm. were brainstorming <laughs> what we wanted this podcast to, to, to cover. Um, and so this has been a long time in the works. But so before we like when we decided, OK, well, we'll do this topic for episode 30. Corey like immediately went into um, like deep dive research mode in a way that is unbelievable <laughs> super impressive and by the time I was like oh yeah that topic's coming up you know what are we gonna do we should look into you know like formulating like an outline or whatever she had already written basically an entire um like research paper about this so I just want to <laughs> let everyone know here that all of this research is Corey's <laughs> and from Corey um, because I think Corey is a super fan in a way that I can only aspire to be oh um, well thank you so just want to let everyone know <laughs> 
Y'all, I was in, like you said, the rabbit hole. I was down there for days. (laughs) I think I read literally everything on the Wayback Machine that has anything to do with video games or Her Interactive or American Laser Games or Nancy Drew. I read all of it and I did not come up for air for literally an an entire weekend one time. So, (laughs) so I mean, let's get into it, right? Yeah. Well, I guess, okay. I mean, typically we do like three words or three small phrases. Do we want to do three words of how to describe our experience with her interactive? Well, it's not, um, it's not like a typical book that we've read or a game that we've played. So it's not, you know, it's not exactly the same thing, but there's definitely a story here. So that's kind of a fun idea if Mm -hmm. you want to. Um, I mean, I did kind of give give little section titles just because in the course of my research, I didn't necessarily do things chronologically. And y'all, this is a very long document. So I kind of made <laughs> section headings just to make it easier for myself to organize in the process of it. Um, so the big one here, I, I was I was going to call it girl power, but then I was like, no, girl sleuth power because <laughs> we have, have our girl sleuth. So I think girl power is definitely a huge theme for this story oh, if, if we want to use that as one of our words definitely girl power definitely gosh I'm trying to think of a better word than like fun but like mm-hmm. just the amount of entertainment and like how much these games took up my brain space you know what I mean <laughs> yeah like oh what's obsession <laughs> oh my god yes obsessed <laughs> obsessed that's the word Girl power, obsessed, and then um, disappointment. Disappointment, drama. <laughs> um, yeah. 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 I mean, that's kind of the timeline anyway. We start with girl power, we move into full-blown obsession, and then it just kind of drops off at the end with a little bit more disappointment. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good summary. I think I like so. That. All right. Okay. Do you want to start us off, Corey? Alrighty, so let's go back all the way to 1990. Um, before we were born, know, Corey. Really, right, <laughs> three years before, so not not too far before. But um, okay, yeah. So 1990, American Laser Games is founded by Robert Grebe or Robert Greb. I couldn't actually find a pronunciation of his name, so I'm sorry, Robert, if I'm mispronouncing your name. Uh, but he founds the the company American Laser Games in Albuquerque, New Mexico, um, and this is a company that originally originally manufactured coin-operated arcade games, but then um, in the early 90s, they start uh, turning to console games like for PlayStation and Sega. And then in the mid-90s, they began publishing PC games as well. Um, In the November of 1994, so a few years later, American Laser Games decides to create a division specifically for games for girls, and they're going to call it Games for Her Interactive. These games are aimed at girls ages 9 to 15 with the hope that it's going to get more girls interested in technology and computers. Patricia Flanagan, who initially is the person who initially had the idea for Her Interactive, is named executive director. Um, And they also create the first ever Her Interactive website, and they call it Her Online. Um, Her Online advertised itself as being a girls' internet homepage, and it had pages like fashion and makeup advice, the message board, book and poetry recommendations, science articles, like how to recycle and things (laughs) like that, um, essay contests, um, and, you know, other stuff. Um, And here I want to stop for a second and paint, paint a little bit of a picture of how big of a deal it was at the time for a company to make quote-unquote girls games Um, only a handful of other small companies were even trying to do this like Barbie and Madeline were some of the other big like girl games on the market at the time 
Um, and I actually read an interview with their director of electronic arts at the time who basically said that girls and women were thought of as the white whale of the video game market or this industry uh, because no one could figure out how to give them games that interested them that would also for sure be a good sale with their male market. If that so makes funny. Sense. Um, they just... They didn't want to make games that were too girly or too pink because they're like, oh, then the guys won't buy them and we can't rely only on women and girls buying these games. So how do we make something that pleases Unreal. both? Um, <laughs> which do you want to talk a little bit about how, you know, Nancy has historically found her success kind of in this specific niche, like even with the books, um, Edward Stratemeyer was he was the first person to really take a leap for girls. The girls are going to be interested in mysteries as well. It's not just boys who want adventure books. Right. So that's kind of a nice parallel to look it's at It's just here. so hilarious to me how like it's always it's like gosh what are we gonna do to get the women what are we gonna do to get the girls and they're like hmm okay what do we know what do we know what do we know makeup hmm clothes hmm can't be that oh gosh maybe they would like something that is I don't know actually interesting not that makeup and clothes aren't interesting right. because they are sure. but just like <laughs> It's just so funny to me how, like, it's it, the beginning of time to 1990 is like we have we have not changed the way we think <laughs> about mm. girls that much, not that much. Anyway, well, I even read an interview with Patricia Flanagan, the executive director at the time, who somebody asked her, like, you know, isn't it kind of stereotypical mm -hmm. to give girls like makeup and fashion and Barbie games like this? And she was like, you know what? I don't care if yeah. girls like that. If that's what girls want and that's what's going to get them interested, let's meet them where they're at. That's let's true. give them what they want. Who cares if boys aren't going to like it? Well, but that's, um, yeah. And, you know, side note, boys do end up liking Nancy Drew yeah. games as There's well. There's a feminism so. in that too, for sure, of being like, yeah, girls oh, like clothes and makeup. I mean, there are a lot of reasons why they've had to only like clothes and makeup. But like, if that's the mm -hmm. truth of it, why wouldn't we make those into like video games because boys aren't gonna buy them like exactly so what <laughs> sorry boys you know what boys like boys well, like that makeup too. and clothes and too. too yeah <laughs> anyway maybe not all of them but it's not gonna be like specifically a girl's market so. i will say too that those barbie pc games were a freaking smash Oh, they, yeah. Well, okay, I think we briefly discussed this before, too, Corey, but there was um, a Barbie Detective PC game oh, yeah. that I oh, played yeah. um, pretty extensively. Um, uh, I believe it was called The Carnival Caper, and um, oh. I was obsessed <laughs> with it. Um, yeah, but so they were great. They were great freaking games. So I think I played Barbie, uh, Barbie Detective, or no. Barbie Secret Agent. Oh, oh God, one. yes. Yeah. Oh, I love that one so much. Oh, with like the lipstick laser. Oh, oh yes. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I forgot but... about the lipstick laser. <laughs> anyway, I remember you have to like sneak through like a party at one point. Mm -hmm. Oh, so good. So good. And you, you like went to like different locations. I remember there was one in Egypt. And that one I felt like was so hard. Um, and then there was also like, it was like different locations around the world. There was the party was in France. I remember. Do okay. you remember this? Anyway, I, I don't sorry. remember it. Well. <laughs> I just remember like her tucking and rolling and like yes. jumping over rooftops and like, yeah. Yes. Cool. Oh my gosh. That is like implanted in my memory. Oh. <laughs>
Oh, also, I forgot to put her on the list, but honorable mention, Carmen Sandiego. Oh. She was also pretty huge at this time, yes. and I can't, I can't move on without mentioning Carmen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, yeah. These were great games. Mm-hmm. Girlier or, or not, they were great games. Right. <laughs> and then in 1995, we start getting some trademarks. So, in January of 1995, they um, filed the For Her Interactive Adventures. Um, and then later that year, they trademarked For Her Interactive and Her Interactive. Um, and then in later in 1995 as well, Robert Riedel starts working as an accountant for American Laser Games. And in 1998, he joins her as a program manager. Um, and he does hold a few different titles over the years and eventually becomes executive producer. Um, and he ends up staying with the company until 2012. And we're not going to mention every single major name within the company, but I wanted to, to give some credit to some of the yeah. um, more long-running employees with them because... I think that they deserve some credit. I totally. wish we could, you know, have the time to credit every single person. Totally. <laughs> After about a year of development in November of t- 1995, Her publishes its first game, Mackenzie & Co., um, which is essentially a high school simulation game where you can make friends, flirt with guys, go shopping. So, again, very um, girly subject matter. Mm-hmm. And drive around town in a car named Mackenzie. That's hilarious. <laughs> Sorry, that is so And it, it's, it stands for something. I don't remember what the full thing. It was like movement, kinetic energy. You know, it's like, it's weird, but. <laughs> um, but interesting. <laughs> That's the idea behind the name, yeah. Um, so apparently the game took up five discs and originally cost $59.95. Yep. <laughs> Jeez Louise. Um, and you can purchase an expansion pack for an additional $20 that includes two new guys to date. Mm-hmm. So you know how the original, the original secrets can kill. You have to switch discs mm-hmm. depending on which location you go to. Yeah. It was that, but with five of them. Mm. So you had to change your discs all the time. Can you imagine? Oh my God. <laughs> wow. We have come a long way in video game development. Um, but so the realty of this game is that American Laser Games and Her Interactive had to self-publish this game because every publisher they went to turned it down because, quote unquote, girls don't play video games. But that turned out to be patently untrue because uh, <laughs> the game sold 80,000 units, uh, which was a lot for the time, apparently. And there... There's a quote that you found from a press release about Mackenzie and Co. saying, girls are having slumber parties with their friends to play on the computer. Um, girls are taking the mouse away from their brothers and insisting on having their time. It confirms what we've suspected all along. Girls like their computers, but they haven't been thrilled with the most available software until now. Um, and that came from uh, Patricia Flynn again. Do girls not like video games or do they just not have anything that's catered toward them? Yeah, no jeez. Give them what they want, people. <laughs> Alrighty. The next year, 1996, Her Interactive launches their not-for-profit project called Sure She Can. This was a series of informational CDs that featured stories of girls who had achieved something, quote, exciting, difficult, or unusual, or who had contributed to their community in some way. Um, And these CDs were actually given for free to anyone, like, bundled with a copy of McKinsey & Co., so anyone who bought a copy of it. Um, And from what I can tell, this project was abandoned by the time that Her bought out American Laser Games. Um, But just kind of the point of this is just, again, girl power. They were just all about trying to get girls into being interested in this industry. 
June of that year, June 1996, her interactive releases a press release announcing that Nancy Drew is going to make her, quote, interactive motion picture game debut the following year. Um, it's actually going to be about two and a half years from this time. Uh, but her interactive at this point is now the most profitable part of American Laser Games. Um, the company is far in the red at this point and has to lay off a ton of their employees. Does this sound familiar to anyone for maybe a future event? <laughs> Uh, but almost everyone except for the Her Interactive team is laid off. The non-Her Interactive side of the company now focuses on providing legacy tech support for their past games rather than making new games. Um, and really the only like profitable part of the company is Her Interactive. So they showed everything, <laughs> didn't they? <laughs> I love it. Yes, because Corey then... We have to talk about <laughs> the Vampire Diaries because her interactive mm -hmm. her interactive published a Vampire Diaries PC game um, in November of 1996, um, and this was actually what becomes the same engine that they create the Nancy Drew PC games off of. So if you ever mm -hmm. see have seen that or have played it, even it's very very familiar to the rest of the Nancy Drew games because it's the same engine. Um, and the uh, Vampire Diaries is also Her Interactive's first point-and-click game. So yeah, shortly after they released that, um, Her Interactive buys out American Laser Games, as you were saying before. Um, and they also close Her Online and then publish HerInteractive.com. And the plan was to continue with creating games based on a variety of girls' books. Um, they were going to have a Sweet Valley High game and then a PB Longstocking game, which is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> um, but obviously they end up focusing 100% on Nancy in the future, um, which I think is a pretty good choice. If you're going to go, if you're going to have to pick a, a book series, it's yeah. a great one. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then after the buyout, her relocates to Bellevue, Washington and adopts the slogan for girls who aren't afraid of a mouse. And during the production of uh, Secrets Can Kill, some of the team was still in Albuquerque and some were in Washington. So that the production was kind of split location wise. And I'm kind of impressed by how well the game turned out, given that they were, you know, working basically mm -hmm. remotely trying to figure out this game between Albuquerque and, and Washington. In the nineties. I can't I know, imagine right? trying to work remote in the nineties when Zoom there was wasn't no a Skype. <laughs> There's no Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> In 1997, Megan Geyser joins her interactive as their creative director. Um, and then in November, on November 5th of 1998, they released their first ever Nancy Drew PC game, Secrets Can Kill, starring Lonnie Manella as the voice of Nancy. The game retailed for $24.95, and like we said, it includes two discs that you had to swap out depending on which location that you wanted to go to. Um, and it also included a detective handbook and a sketchbook, which I think was probably just a blank notepad and like a game manual, but... I think it's funny that they called it that. Um, Kevin Manthe composed the soundtrack for the game and um, also composed a rap for the game, which didn't actually make it into the final product, but you can find it on YouTube. It is really something. Definitely go listen to that if you have time. And he's actually going to compose the music for all of the games up through number 25, Alibi and Ashes. And he composes about 11 to 12 minutes for each game, I believe. Although some of them, I think, maybe some more than that. Um, and then, of course, he did also compose the main theme song as well. Some fun facts here on the, the hallways of the high school of Secrets Can Kill. You can find references to McKinsey and Co. and the Vampire Diaries. Um, and there's also a few other games where you can find references to those games as well. 
Um, and according to Chris Ulmer, who is one of the original artists for her interactive, they marketed this game by going around town and just hand delivering sell sheets, wow. just asking whoever, like, do you want to buy this wow. game? Um, <laughs> and she also said that she was on, she was planning to take like a road trip across the country to go see her family. So her interactive was like, take the flyers with <laughs> you them. and just take them. Just pass them out around the country. And that's what she did. And that's how they marketed Secrets Can Kill. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy pants. Mm-hmm. So, it, I mean, obviously it worked. It ended up being <laughs> successful. But just can you imagine the, the amount of effort that must have taken? <laughs> it's hilarious. Okay. So in 1999, Megan Geyser is named the president and CEO, and she previously worked for Microsoft before her time at Her Interactive. And this made her one of the first ever female CEOs in the video game industry, which is just amazing that Her Interactive can have a female CEO being games for girls and just kind of basically being run by women. So that's just so, so great. Um, And then later in 1999, Her Interactive releases their first game with 3D character models that is Stay Tuned for Danger, which is a great, great, great game. Yes, we love it. Um, And it's the first game to ever be all on one disc. And then games 13 through 23 use two disc, while games 2 through 12 and 24 through 33 um, all use one discs as well. Um, Yeah, so do you want to run through these quick facts? Let's do some fun facts, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to do like every other bullet point? Sure, 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 sure. Okay, so most of the games are intended to have about four to nine hours of gameplay, depending, you know, just depending on the individual person. Uh, The longest games in this series are Shadow at the Water's Edge, Labyrinth of Lies, and Sea of Darkness. Shortest games in the series are Secrets Can Kill, Stay Tuned for Danger, Message in the Haunted Mansion, and the Haunted Carousel. (laughs) And this is hilarious. So the most common mystery types, the most common mystery type is Sabotage, being present in eight of the games, Hauntings in six of them, Missing Persons and Kidnappings also in six of them, Theft for, Threats for, and then there are only two murders in the entire series. Nancy goes undercover in nine of the games. Um, Eight of the games take place in Europe. 22 take place in North America, all of which are in the U.S. except for Icicle Creek, which is in Canada, and Ransom the Seven Ships in the Bahamas. Um, And then only three of the games, which are Tomb of the Lost Queen, Shatter Medallion, and Shadow at the Water's Edge, take place outside of North America and Europe, which those are Egypt, New Zealand, and Japan, respectively. Um, And no games set in South America, unfortunately. Which is such a shame. I know. Such a shame. I love that. That would be so cool. Such a, an interesting history down there. Love to get right. into that. Um, Nancy has a PDA in number seven and then gets her first cell phone in number nine, Danger on Deception Island. Uh, many of the games are advertised as educational and her even used to make teacher's guides to go with them. <laughs> so funny. If you ever, um, you know, growing up, if your teacher ever used one of these games to, uh, you know, do a class or something, let us know. I would be interested to to hear how that impacted your education. I would have died if that was an option given to me in in school as I was growing up. Right? That would have been so cool. Uh, next fun fact here, three of the games, which are uh, Last Train to Blooming Canyon, Creature of Kapu Cave, and Midnight in Salem, feature the Hardy Boys as in-game playable characters. Love it. Um, and Bess and George are in-game characters in three games. Ransom of the Seven Ships, it's Albion Ashes, and... Um, Shattered Medallion. Shattered Medallion. Mm-hmm. Of course, I didn't remember that one. <laughs> 
Um, and they are playable characters in three games, Ransom of Seven Ships, Alibi Nashes, and Crystal Skull. Because <laughs> we can play as best, but we never see her. So oh, right, 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 right. She's playable. <laughs> Ned is a playable character in Alibi and Ashes, but he, Carson, and Hannah are never seen as in-game characters at any point, sadly. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Best George, Ned, and Carson, and the Hardy Boys are all phone ca- contacts in many of the games. Um, but the closest we ever get to seeing Nancy is just a blurry photo booth picture from Shadow of the Water's Shadow Edge. Shadow of the Water's Edge, thank you. We see her sort of in other ways. Like yeah. from the third person point of view, mm-hmm. we see her walking sometimes. But we never actually get to see what Nancy looks like, which <laughs> obviously is intentional. So. Right, 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 right. Um, all of the games have been dubbed in Russian. Um, about half the games, number uh, numbers 11 through 23, plus Secrets Can Kill Remastered, and the dossiers have been dubbed in French, and then games 17, 18, and the dossiers have been dubbed in German. Um, and five of the games were based on the file series. 26 of the games were based on the mystery stories. One from the on-campus series. One based on the ghost stories, short story. That's Ghost Dogs of Moon Lake. Um, and three based on the Girl Detective series. Three based on the Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys super mysteries, including Last Train to Blue Moon Canyon, our perennial favorite. Um, and seven of the games take inspiration from two or more books. All right, going back to our timeline here, in June of 2000, Her Interactive wins their very first of, of many, many, many that they're going to win. Um, first ever Parents' Choice Award for Stay Tuned for Danger. Um, this was a huge deal for a company that only had 12 employees at the time. Um, and that same year, Her Interactive does end up selling American Laser Games to Digital Leisure, Inc. So they are now, you know, totally standalone company, completely separate, separate from the parent company that founded them. Um, and then in October of the same year, 2000, Her Interactive signs a distribution and publishing agreement with Dreamcatcher Interactive. Um, in the same month, they filed the trademark for Her Interactive again, this time under the computer software category, where previously it was under the games category. That's not too important. I just thought it was interesting how they kind of classified their company throughout the years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then in November of 2000, Her releases Message in a Haunted Mansion, their third game, uh, our third Nancy Drew game, and begins selling all three of those games in big box retail stores for the very first time. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. Uh, and this, honestly, this tracks. This makes a lot of sense as far as, like, my personal remembrance and experience with the PC games because it was very much around that time that I started to, like, see them in the library um, and, mm-hmm. and totally started getting knowledge about them yeah um in may of 2001 her interactive announces that they have renewed their license with simon and schuster um previously they had to renew their license for all three of the first games for each game Uh, but this time they say that they are going to produce 10 games over the next five years so this is now a two-game-per-year release schedule, which is essentially unheard of in the industry at the time. Um, they also do get impro- approved as an official Nintendo game developer, and they're going to release Message in the Haunted Mansion for Game Boy Advance in November of that same year. Um, and by this time, the company now has 18 employees. And so then in August of 2001, her release is Treasure and Royal Tower. And like you were saying, yes, now is publishing two games per year. Um, and the final scene was just released four months after that in November of 2001. And they continue uh, on that schedule until 2015, except for in 2008 and 2010, uh, or 2008 to 2010, when they released three per year because of the um, Nancy Drew Dossier games and uh, the Secrets Can Kill remastered game. And then, obviously, 
<laughs> midnight in Salem, uh, which should have been the second game of 2015. Uh, but we'll talk about that uh, later when we get there. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's also kind of funny. I read in an, or no, I saw an interview. I watched it, an interview with Megan Geyser, where she said that after Stay Tuned for Danger, somebody was like, what, what is her interactive going to do next? You know, no one's going to want to play a third Nancy Drew game. <laughs> oh my God. So I thought that that was hilarious because, you know, shortly after this, they like two games per year. So, <laughs> oh man. Uh, sadly, in May of 2002, Mildred Wirt Benson, the original author of Nancy Drew, dies at 96 years old. Her interactive posts a letter on their website commemorating her life and her work and included this little bit at the end. To quote them, everyone at Her Interactive feels a special connection to Mildred Benson. It was her genius that created the wonderful character of Nancy Drew and who serves as a constant inspiration to us and a wonderful heroine for the games that we create. A couple of years ago, we sent Benson a copy of our first game, Secrets Can Kill, with flowers and chocolates, thanking her for her inspiring work. She wrote a a review of our game in her Toledo Blade column and said that our games did what she always tried to do with the Nancy Drew books and that they made it seem like you really were Nancy Drew. That was one of the greatest compliments we ever received, and we still have the letter she wrote framed in our front office. Thanks, Mildred. All of us at Her Interactive are dedicated to ensuring that your Nancy Drew lives on to inspire generations of girls to come. Um, And then the next game that they release, which is Ghost Dogs Moon Lake, they do dedicate that to Mildred. Oh, and you tried to find this article, didn't you? I did. I did. So yeah, apparently all of the Toledo Blade articles like from 2001 on are in their digital archive, which you can find on their website. But I couldn't, I couldn't find this one. And I don't know why, but it was very sad. Well, I think it probably was posted in like 1999 or 1998 when it first oh, came out you know so that's why because this hey. they talk about it here in 2002 but she would have written it a few years prior so we that's just just missed the margin cut off where they put them on on the website but um if you can find it please send us a copy because i'm very oh interested gosh. to read this article um in august of 2004 her releases secret of shadow ranch on the second generation of their proprietary engine um and this new engine gives players a larger gameplay area um which makes basically the text box and inventory smaller on the screen so that you can see more of mm-hmm. the game um this is also the same engine that they use through uh 15 and it's also the first game that's based directly off one of the original mystery stories, um, obviously, we, that we covered um, earlier. Mm-hmm. So in July of 2005, um, Her trademarks the, play, the phrase, Dare to Play, mm-hmm. um, and adopts that as their slogan. Um, and the company now has 25 employees. Uh, and that same month, in honor of Nancy Drew's 75th anniversary, they released number 12, Secret of the Old Clock. Um, that's the second game based off of one of the original mystery stories, as it contains aspects of books from one through four, Secret of the Old Clock, The Hidden Staircase, The Bungalow Mystery, and The Mystery at Lilac Inn. It's the first game to be set back in time, so in the 1930s, and the very first to feature Carson as a phone character. Um, honestly... Not my favorite game. No. <laughs> Not a great game, but I do appreciate it for its, um, you know, nostalgic aspects and for kind of the tribute that it gives to mm-hmm. the original Nancy Drew books, which is obviously what it was intended to be, you know? I love the concept. The actual yeah. game itself, not my favorite, but yeah, like you said, it's a Yay. nice little tribute to the originals. 
Um, so uh, her releases, game number 16 in June of 2007, that's White Wolf of Icicle Creek. And that's the third generation of their proprietary engine. They continue to use that um, engine through number 25, Alibi and Ashes, um, including for the Secrets Can Kill remastered game. And in that version, all of the icons are at the bottom of the screen, um, and selecting them displays kind of a transparent box for their the inventory, the notes, and the task list, all those. Um, a few months later, in November of 2007, they release The Cody Capers, Cody Pops the Case, which is their first non-Nancy Drew game since The Vampire Diaries. Um, this game is aimed at a younger audience, and it is a hidden object game about a dog detective named Cody. Um, this one is very similar to the Dossier games, so you know how in the Dossier games you like click on this and click on this, and then the bubble pops, and then it puts the items together or whatever, and you can use it. Kind of the same concept here, we're popping bubbles, Cody's popping the case. And a special team of Her Interactive was actually like designated to make this game. And then that same team is going to make the dossier games as well. So it's going to feel very familiar. I personally have not played it, but apparently it's very similar to what the dossiers are going to end up being. Um, and this is actually their first game to be released digitally only. So they didn't make any physical copies of this one. And it, they did discontinue it in 2011. Um, and then in 2008, they do release their first dossier game, which was Lights, Camera, Curses. And then the next year, 2009, they released Resorting to Danger. Um, like we said, these were hidden object games that also starred Lonnie as the voice of Nancy. They did actually plan for a third dossier games, which was Ship of Shadows. And that was planned for release in 2010, but it was later shelved because her decided not to proceed with the series, stating that it did not live up to most fans' expectations, unfortunately. They were also working on Secrets Can Kill Remastered in the same year as when they planned to release Ship of Shadows. So I wonder if, you know, that had an impact on the development and maybe that contributed to the yeah. downfall of the Dossier series as well. Honestly, I, this might be a, a fringe opinion, but I loved the Dossier games. And I just, I guess I'm just kind of a fan of like the hidden object game style anyway, but I think they're really great. And so it is slightly disappointing that they wouldn't make any more, but, um, but I really loved them. You know, I definitely prefer the point and click, but for what they are, they did a, yeah. they did a good job. Yeah. I would play the, play them again for sure. Um, in September of 2009, her and Sega released the Hardy Boys Treasure on the Tracks for Nintendo <laughs> DS. Um, that was $20 and features the Hardy Boys traveling to by train into St. Petersburg to investigate the Romanov family. Uh -huh. Okay, I'm sorry. What? <laughs> so I'm super interested in that. Um, mm -hmm. just uh, conceptually on all counts, yes. <laughs> Hardy Boys and Romanov families, like to mm -hmm. my, uh, niche interests. Right. Um, and in this game, you can play as both Frank and Joe and, uh, Samantha Quick. Awesome! Very exciting. I just bought a copy of this, so <laughs> looking forward to playing it. Mm -hmm. Um, in June of 2010, her releases their first game for Mac. Um, that's, uh, Trail of the Twister number 22 um and in august of 2010 her remasters and re-releases sequels can kill which we've mentioned um the remastered version includes a new suspect and one new puzzle and two characters have a few new dialogue options and the layout of the school and the specific places you can explore inside of it are changed only very slightly <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> um barnacle blast is in it or they added barnacle blast to it which was the worst one to choose if you're gonna choose a mini game i'm sorry i do not like barnacle blast yeah 
And then, of course, of course, they changed the end <laughs> sequence to have the culprit holding the gun because in the original, Nancy holds the gun. Um, and they also change a scene where in the original, Nancy breaks and enters into the teacher's lounge and the remastered version has you enter with a key through the front door. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but beca- basically because um, all of her interactive games have an ESRB rating of E for everyone, but obviously the standards of what qualifies for that changed over time. So they had to change those things. Obviously, Secrets Can Kill being their first one had some interesting uh, interesting choices for Nancy, including obviously the use of a gun. So yeah, that definitely makes sense. Why not just remove the gun altogether? Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I have my own thoughts about this personally. I do think like it's definitely unnecessary, but the use mm-hmm. of the gun, I think does a lot for that game uh, because mm-hmm. I just think that throughout the course of it, it's so sorry, this is totally an aside, aside talk. <laughs> the game is so um, I don't want to say boring, not boring, but it just doesn't have a whole lot. A lot of the mystery is in the subtext and it's not, there's nothing like super in your face that's going on. It's all very much like you're reading stuff and you're learning stuff. And so I think it makes a lot of sense for at the end to kind of have that come to head in a more exciting way. Um, And I think Mm -hmm. the gun does a whole lot to heighten that drama. But, and I think that like without something so confrontational, uh, the rest of it almost wouldn't be worth it, you know, but, um, okay. but point. I get it. I get it. <laughs> I definitely get the argument. So, um, so there apparently were never any plans to remaster any other games. Um, but her did discontinue and then re-release Stay Tuned for Danger in 2016. Um, uh, but it was the, the same game. I uh, just made it less easy for players to accidentally get stuck in that loop mm-hmm. uh, where uh, you can't, uh, like, you can't progress past a, a certain point and you get stuck. But with the bomb. Yeah. Yeah. Alrighty. Here we start getting into a little bit of rocky territory. Mm-hmm. In 2011, Stuart Mulder replaces Megan Geyser as CEO of Her Interactive. Megan Geyser is going to actually take on the new title of Chief Creative Strategy Officer. So she's going to handle like the big picture of things while Stuart Mulder handles the day to day. Um, And then the following year, Robert Riedel does, like we said, he ends up leaving the executive producer position at Her Interactive. Um, And then May of 2012, they release their 26th game, Tomb of the Lost Queen, on the fourth generation of their user interface with their proprietary engine. This version displays the inventory like in a scroll bar at the bottom of the screen and then the task list and notepad are like an expanding menu that you can pull up. And then they do use this same engine all the way through Sea of Darkness. (sighs) And then in September of 2013, Megan Geyser leaves her role at Her Interactive. This was a heartbreaking moment for me. Do you remember where you were when you read the news that Megan Geyser was leaving her interactive? Because no. I do. I stopped in my tracks. I started to panic a little bit. I was like, what is this going to mean for the future of her interactive? Because this woman has been taking the lead for such a long time. And I attribute a lot of the success to her success in the, the company. I think that she did an amazing job as um, CEO and then later as CCSO or whatever the acronym was. Yeah. But... Well, Corey, where were you? I mean, don't leave us hanging. Oh, I was out walking my dogs. <laughs> and then I was like scrolling through my phone. And I was like, wait, I had to go home and like process <laughs> for a minute. 
I don't know where she is today, but I hope that she is doing well because, you know, now in retrospect, it was smart to, to jump ship when right. she did, I yeah. think. So, um, so Ooh, here we go, y'all. Here we go. Um, so after Megan Geyser leaves, then Penny Milliken uh, replaces Stuart Mulder as CEO. Um, and Penny previously had worked for Disney for 10 years, um, and she had been on her board of directors since 2003. But so apparently, um, Stuart Mulder had left kind of abruptly. Um, and according to anon- an anonymous, uh, her employee uh, who posted some behind the scenes information on Reddit after they left the company, they said, in my humble opinion, Stuart left unexpectedly and left a big mess for everyone else to discover in his wake. From my understanding, Stuart did not fully disclose how far in the red her was during his tenure. That's very interesting. Um, mm-hmm. So it is it is hard to find any financial information on her interactive, but it is worth noting that for a long time, apparently the company was kept kept afloat by angel investors, which does kind of potentially explain some of the um, I say interesting decisions related to uh, Midnight in Salem and the development of that a little bit later. Uh, maybe some of those decisions were made in an effort to just keep some of those investors potentially happy and keep the um, company afloat. So purely speculation, um, but uh, interesting. I have a lot of theories. Yeah, a lot, of, a theories. lot of theories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it was less about we're actually planning to do this and more just we're saying whatever the hot button mm. buzzwords are at the time to keep the investors interested. like. We'll get into it. But like VR, I don't think they were ever going to make a VR game. I think VR was just the hot topic at the time. So they were like, let's promise VR and then it'll keep the investors on the hook for a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So apparently there was a comment from that same anonymous, her employee that said Penny was not well liked at all and seemed out of touch with the team, the fans and the game. So also not exactly a great glowing Um, uh, Mm -hmm. opinion about Penny Milliken. Um, So there were some other quotes from that employee on Reddit that said, as far as I remember, Penny has never played a Nancy Drew game. She also thought Nancy was on the cover of the Silent Spy and Secret Skin Kill remastered. Um, Which Mm -hmm. does not... Which it's not. not, It's definitely (laughs) not. Um, And there's a little anecdote about how there was once a meeting where it became really apparent to everyone how clueless Penny really was to the problems a normal person would have. She was trying to get us to relate to her by telling us a moving story about her first job ever, which was something like managing the marketing for a movie theater company. First off, really? That's your first job? Really? Um, She had some coupons made, but she started hearing complaints that the coupons were not fitting in the register properly. She did not think to have the coupons designed in a way that would fit well into a register till. She spoke of this revelation like it was a groundbreaking moment for her. I don't even remember what her point was. At the end of the meeting, everyone left with two new pieces of knowledge. Penny had never had a job before she graduated college, and Penny had never touched a register till before. Uh, we felt like we knew a bit more about Penny after, but probably not in the way she wished. Youch! <laughs> oh, what a quote. Mm-hmm. So all this to highlight that, you know, we, we went from a time where 
pretty much everyone at Her Interactive loved Nancy Drew. They were doing this for their love of Nancy Drew and producing things that they really wanted to be good quality. And now we have someone come in who, yes, was on the board of directors since 2003. So that's a very, very long time, just five years after the Nancy Drew games started, but really is not interested in these games, really doesn't even know what the premise is of some of them or what Nancy is supposed to look like. Just really disappointing that this is the approach that the company took at the time. Yeah. Uh, here we go. In January of 2015, they announced that sea, uh, sea of Darkness is going to be Lonnie Manila's last game as Nancy. Lonnie apparently had a habit of spilling game details to fans prior to release and just giving people things that she was under an NDA for and just saying stuff anyway. Um, and she allegedly also became more and more difficult to work with over time. Like she insisted on using outdated equipment that didn't really work with what they were trying to do, um, refusing to take notes on her performances, refusing to physically come to their building to record things. Um, and I don't want to, you know, bog down on Lonnie too much because I think that she did a great job as Nancy. I, you know, I'm hearing this from a company that mm -hmm. was pretty frustrated with her at the time. So I, I can't speak to how true all of this was, but you know, maybe it was a little bit of failings on, on both right. sides here. So now our longstanding Nancy voice actress um, is out. She is going to voice the next game, but after Sea of Darkness, she is no longer going to be with the company. Mm -hmm. Um, and then May of 2015, they do release their 32nd Nancy Drew game, Sea of Darkness. Um, this game actually did also introduce us to our first ever openly LGBTQ character, which is Dagny. A little anecdote from that same employee that actually they did kind of plan for other characters to be LGBTQ. Um, like, for example, Soren was supposed to be ace, but like, you know, they didn't actually like put that into the game too right. much. Maybe you could pick up on some of the clues that they left, but they didn't actually like outright say it but I just, I just included that just because I think it's kind of cool how much world building they did and how much backstory they gave to each of these characters before actually creating the game it just signals a lot of care and intention to me mm -hmm. uh, but then at the end of Sea of Darkness they did end with a teaser trailer for Midnight in Salem which they said was anticipated for fall 2015 so of course this is going to be in line with the schedule that we've had before. So um, no real indication up until this point that this game might not come out on time. We have stuck with this two game per year schedule for so long now that we're very much expecting this game to come out as planned. Um, and I will note that Lonnie did not voice Nancy in that teaser trailer at the end of Sea of Darkness. There was another voice of Nancy, which I don't actually know who that was. Was that Brittany Fox? Know. Do you know? Yeah. I'm not sure if they ever said. They were very secretive mm -hmm. about that at the mm -hmm. time. But yeah. But then, so then, and I think probably what was the uh, biggest uh, red flag to us as fans of the game, Her Interactive in spring of 2015 starts laying off the majority of their staff, saying that we're moving to Unity, even though the majority of their team had a lot of Unity experience. Mm -hmm. So I think that, uh, like from our perspective, was not was kind of like, oh, oh dear, uh oh, something yeah. bad <laughs> is happening over there, um, and all of the programmers, artists, and writers, uh, many who had been from the company in their really early days, uh, were gone by the end of the year, leaving the company with just the executive level employees, the marketing team, um, and people who handled the money. Little Jackalope, uh, Kalina Herman, is the only person left in the company who's actually a Nancy Drew fan. Um, and in the departure mm -hmm. from the company's history of regular updates and listening to fans, um, her becomes 
uh, very tight-lipped about uh, its projects and production. Um, apparently Penny was very strict about what could actually be said by the marketing team and Little Jackalope at this point. Mm. Um, most responses from her about anything they were working on was just like, stay tuned, um, you know, and more information coming mm-hmm. soon, that kind of thing. Um, and they wouldn't say yeah. anything at all about the development of Midnight in Salem, except that. So that was really concerning. <laughs> I, I remember this. I remember being really concerned about this from the very mm-hmm. beginning. And basically just thinking like, well, you know, you know, maybe they have the game. You know, maybe they really do just need to finish it and get someone to finish the game and then it'll be out. But <laughs> you want to take it, Corey? Sure. Um, yeah. So based on their previous game release schedule and their game production schedule, by the time that they'd released Sea of Darkness, it going with what had happened in the past, it's very likely that Midnight in Salem was probably about halfway done at the time that they announced all the layoffs. So they had a game, like they could have just finished it and released it. Maybe not fall 2015, but maybe the next year, it, you know, it didn't have to be a super long wait. Um, but yeah, I, I do believe that there was, there was an original version of Midnight in Salem out there. And we can talk about that a little bit later. So we are expecting this game to be fall 2015, but then in August of 2015, we get our very first Midnight in Salem delay announcement. Her Interactive publishes a letter on their website announcing that they are moving to Unity. Um, They say that it's going to give, like, uh, which if you're not familiar, Unity is like basically a game developing software or platform. Engine? I think technically an engine. Yeah. Engine. Yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. Thank you. Uh, so they are promising, you know, like bigger environments, more exploration in the world, which would have been, I mean, a cool move if it had done, been done correctly. But they explain that now as a result of this move to Unity, they're now pushing the anticipated release date to sometime in 2016. Um, they reason that Unity will allow them to make the games for more platforms as well, including virtual reality, like we said, possibly even console games as well. Um, and like we said, I, I honestly believe that this was all made up just for the sake of keeping investors interested and around for a little bit longer. <laughs> Another quote from that employee that spilled a lot of secrets on the Reddit. They said that Penny and the and the investors do not care about the games. If it was up to the investors, they would have stopped making these, these games a long time ago. They were far in the red when the previous CEO left and they almost closed the curtains on the games, but Penny actually saw some hope in her as a platform for STEM programs and decided to revamp the entire company. They went from in the red to how is anyone getting a paycheck now, in my opinion. Yeah, that honestly sounds very accurate to me. (laughs) Um, Just in thinking about like how like just like running out of money and like the effects of like what that means, this that that Mm -hmm. would make a lot of sense in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, probably the reason for the layoffs as well that it wasn't because of the move to unity; it was to save money. Yeah, right, right. Um, So in December of 2015, there's a second Midnight in Salem delay announcement. Um, Her publishes another letter stating that the development of Midnight in Salem and Unity is still ongoing, uh, but no release date can yet be shared. But still, definitely sometime 2016, it's coming. Um, And then Mm -hmm. that same month, they announce um, HI Kids, a new division of her focusing on mobile game apps for younger audience. And they uh, announce codes and clues as the first project under that division uh obviously the game the aim of that is to get younger kids interested in stem so like you were saying before a shift to 
or what the, what the quote, the anonymous employee left uh, a shift to trying to market STEM to young kids. And then from here until about mid-2019, all of her marketing efforts are focused on codes and clues. And we don't hear anything on social media in the entirety of 2016 in Midnight in Salem, or basically almost all 2017 either, until December. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it's just a screenshot of the teaser trailer from 2015. And then another mention that the game has been delayed. Which I feel like... At this point, it was like all of 2016, pretty much all of 2017, constantly people are like, what's the update on this game? Hey, hello, is anybody out there Mm -hmm. commenting on their Facebook page, you know, on their website and stuff? And it's just like silent. And I remember just feeling so like disheartened and like, well, this is it. You know what? They've, They've laid everybody off. They're not saying anything. They're not even like, they won't even bring it up. And it's been like years. It, it, it rang like Mm -hmm. a, like a death bell (laughs) in my heart. Oh yeah. Um, And yeah, but they, you know, in December they're, they're like, oh, it's still, it's still happening, which I feel like for a lot of us at that point just felt like very much like, what the hell? I mean, like clearly, (laughs) clearly nothing's been happening for the past two years. So why don't you just say that? Like, why don't you just say, right. We haven't been able to produce this game in the way we've wanted to. We are looking to produce it in the future. We hope you'll stick with us. It it felt very much like, just be honest with your fans in, you know, in this not saying anything and this not telling us what's really going on. You're like actively angering your fans, <laughs> which felt like, right, felt like exactly. a, a bad, a bad decision, a bad move. I do think that that was a, a penny decision as well. Like the marketing team was specifically told you are not to say anything. Mm-hmm. You can't answer questions. The only thing you can say is stay sleuthy, stay tuned. You know, it's not, yeah, it's really disappointing. And also around that time, they started advertising sales on all their old games, um, usually with like massive discounts um, and saying like, yeah, 50% off Cat Bouquet because it's National Snow Cone Day. Um, and they still do that. Um, they still are doing that and selling their games in mm-hmm. bundles and stuff like that. Um, pretty much just trying to move product, which is, you know, mm-hmm. also not super encouraging um, as far as signs of future production goes. And also just a bad strategy. Well, I mean, if they're not making any money, like, right. you know? I mean, I have some ideas for how to make money that besides just selling their old games for dumb reasons. Like, it's yeah. postcard day, <laughs> so let's sell Phantom of Venice, because Nancy looks at a postcard for two seconds in <laughs> one of the games. A <laughs> <laughs> you know, no. just silly reasons like that. They find any reason to put the games on sale for ridiculous discounts. Not just, like, 10% off, like 50% off some of these games sometimes. Mm-hmm. For, yeah, it just seems really dramatic. Yeah. yeah. Um, in 2016, they do move to a new office building still in the Bellevue, Washington area. Um, but I guess just their lease ran out or maybe they weren't willing to spend money on the size of office space that they had when most of the offices and cubicles are now empty because they laid off most of their staff. Uh, and in May of that same year, they do release Codes and Clues, like we said, which is, of course, a an app featuring young Nancy, Bess, and George that teaches young children basic coding skills. 
And then in October of 2016, they have their third Midnight in Salem delay announcement. Um, so remember, we said sometime in 2016, definitely. So we see an announcement, mm-hmm. we think, oh, this is a release date, right? No, they release a letter stating that although they have made, quote, significant progress on Midnight in Salem, it's still not where they want it to be. And therefore, they're not in a position to confirm a release date. Um, later things that happen, which we'll get to in a minute, um, lead me to believe that this is a lie um, and no actual work had been done yet, that this is just, you know, they said 2016. So now we're at the end of the year. They need to say something. They're just lying to keep us on the hook to make us think that this game is is coming sooner rather than later. So in on December 17th of 2017, this is what we were talking about earlier, the fourth Midnight in Salem delay announcement, another letter saying that, oh, now the release date is going to be spring 2019. Mm-hmm. Wow, which is a big jump from like right. the other delays that they had made before. Um, and an anonymous former employee um, stated on Reddit again that after reading the letter, they're confident that nothing, that no work has been done yet on the game. It's tracks. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, and then around that time in that year, um, her partners up with other video game development companies and makes a deal to market and sell their games on their website, um, Odyssey and Real Mist. Um, and her didn't develop those games, but they um, sell and market them, which you know makes sense if you're trying to find other uh, revenue sources. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. I think this was a great idea. They're just, you know, if we can get Odyssey fans on the Nancy Drew site, maybe they'll end up buying a Nancy Drew game as well. Mm -hmm. Like, I I do think this was a good idea. Don't know how well it did, though. Yeah. Um, In March of 2018, her release is a fan survey asking what people like and dislike about the games and what they want to see in the future, uh, which is just interesting. Um, Especially when you think about uh, how the anonymous employee on Reddit said that they believe that no work had been done on the game. Uh, If they're maybe asking people what it is they like to see in a Nancy Drew game, maybe it's possible that they're like, oh, we need a survey to tell us what we need to put in this game that we haven't even started. So why why would you release a survey about a game that's almost done? I mean, potentially you could say not for that game, but for future games. But like, come on. Yeah, come on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so now we're looking at a spring 2019 release date. And in January of 2019, they do release the concept art for, so just a 2D drawing, not an actual character model. Uh, but they release the concept art for the Hardy Boys characters from Midnight in Salem. And this marks our first ever concrete proof, um, you know, since the like original teaser trailer at the end of Sea of Darkness. Um, first concrete proof that Midnight in Salem is actually being worked on. Um, I believe that this is actually the furthest they've actually gotten in game development thus far, although they did imply otherwise. Um, And just for context, let's pause for a second and go into a little bit more detail on what their game production process actually looked like. Um, So for previous games, they did take about eight eight to ten months to complete each game. So this, of course, means that they had at least two games in production at once, although at different stages, of course, um, while also coming up for ideas for the newest game. So when they're finishing up one game, they've got one game that's like halfway done, and then the next game after that will be in kind of early concept stages. Um, And they start with kind of basically outlining, you know, general themes, ideas for the mystery, 
And obviously that involved a lot of reading Nancy Druva. And, you know, that process did kind of change over the years. Initially, the whole team would work together to come up with the concepts. But um, as they grew and new roles were added, they decided to uh, create a dedicated game designer position. Once they have an actual concept for a game and are ready to move forward, the game designers will actually work together to create a flowchart of all of the events, conversations, puzzles, cutscenes, second chances, uh, you know, etc. Um, for that game. Um, and then the programmers start writing code for the game based on the flowchart, and the writers start working on the script. Um, and then at that point, the team does a lot of research on the history or like whatever the educational aspect of the game is going to be, um, as well as research on the location in the game. Um, They also started developing the characters and putting together, you know, obviously a cohesive picture of each character, the storyline, and how they act and dress in the game. Yeah, so if we're just now getting character art for the Hardy Boys, we are not almost done. We can't expect this game in just a few months from now in spring. Um, I did find something from 2005 that said that they outsourced the concept art for the characters. And I'm not sure if this was always the case going forward, but I will say, uh, you know, just to mention here, it's not unusual for Her Interactive to outsource at least some of the work for each game, but a good portion of the game was created in-house. They, of course, outsourcing does happen, but it's not the entire game. Um, so then 3D artists build all the objects in the game and then 2D artists color and texturize the objects. Um, and they also start building and testing all the puzzles in the game. At the next stage, the voice actors begin recording their dialogue. Kevin Manthe gets a brief for the music to start working on the soundtrack. Um, and then they start recording sound effects as well. And then they start working on the animation and navigation and they compile all of the elements uh, of the game scene by scene. Uh, It seems like this is the biggest, most time-consuming part of the process, Um, and they had an advisory panel of fan testers who would test the game at various stages throughout. Yeah, so it's not like they're just testing at the very end. They're going to, you know, create the very first just concept for a puzzle, and then they're going to test it, and then they're going to build a little bit of world around it, and then they're going to test again. So they test pretty constantly throughout the game development process. Um, So any issues that are found during during testing are corrected. And then once the game is actually complete, the marketing team then takes over their side of things. They will get to work on preparing the game for release, which includes creating box art, updating the website with a a page for the game. um, And then they'll also create a trailer for the game as well. One source that I found said that the physical copies of the games were actually printed in Chicago and they would fly out one of their employees to inspect the game packaging as it was being printed to look to make sure that everything looked accurate. Um, And then, of course, the game is ready for release. So (laughs) in February of 2019, her slowly um, and by slowly... (laughs) I mean, over the course of seven months, slowly, um, starts releasing character art for each character in Midnight in Salem. So obviously, this is more of a reason to think that we're still in early stages of the game. If, you know, all we're doing is releasing character art, we're not releasing any other kind of update of the progress on production of the game you know, it's very likely that you don't have a 3D model yet. You're not, you're not anywhere close to being done, especially when we consider what their previous production looked like. And it's very plausible that they had more developed and just weren't sharing Mm -hmm. it. But But again, if it's been almost, or no, it's been four years now since you promised this game, why wouldn't you be sharing your most current update? You know, get fans more excited 
character art is beautiful and I always enjoy seeing it, but it's not going to get me as excited for the game as screenshots are going to be, or even like a little demo of the game or something like that. Uh, but then in May of 2019, so we're expecting sometime spring 2019. So here we are like last day of spring 2019, we get our fifth midnight in Salem delay announcement. Um, Penny. So, so I will say that all the previous letters that they posted with the delay announcements were signed from team her interactive. This letter is signed from Penny. Um, they released this letter announcing that midnight in Salem will now be out in fall 2019. Pre-orders are going to begin on October 1st of 2019, and the release will be on November 19th of 2019. Um, and this is the very first time in four years that we have an actual specific release date. Um, and I think that this is actually when real animation work on Midnight in Salem actually begins, and that the bulk of the game was actually created after this letter came out. Yeah, that would make sense. <laughs> In so good grief. Okay, so on August 16th of 2019, her releases the first two screenshots of Midnight in Salem, um, and they continue to periodi periodically post those, but they're all marked as not final render. We're in August mm -hmm. of 2019, and the game is supposed to come out in two, three months from now, and you're telling mm -hmm. me that... <laughs> These screenshots from in the game aren't the final render? Are you, are you serious? Like, is that for real? And we're supposed to believe you've been working on it since 2016 <laughs> or 2015? Sorry, I right. don't think so. Um, so later, this is, this is some tea, a Redditor discovers in the metadata that some of the images were not created until just a few weeks earlier. Which means... <laughs> That the other images that they had released, so the character art images, were created in 2016, but modified earlier in 2019. So also this month uh, is when the advisory panel began testing the puzzles in the game. So like we said, there was many rounds of testing. Puzzle testing was the very first round that ever took place. Like usually when they made the puzzles, you would test the puzzle, but if you tried to like walk away from the puzzle or back away, it would just be like a gray room. Like you're not actually in the environment yet. Nothing else is actually built yet, if that makes yeah. sense. Then on October 1st of 2019, we have our six Midnight in Salem delay announcement. So remember, this is the day that pre-orders were supposed to open. Um, and about 45 minutes after pre-orders were promised to open, and despite promoting pre-orders on social media the previous day, Her Interactive announces that the game has actually been pushed back an additional 15 days. Pre-orders are now going to start on October 15th, and the official release date will now not be until December 3rd of 2019. Um, and they were very, very tight-lipped about why this was. Of course, the marketing team is pre under pretty strict orders from Penny not to share too much information. And I looked for a long time, y'all, a long time, especially at the time in 2019 for a reason of why this might have been, why they deleted it last minute. Because if you have pre-orders open, you better be pretty confident that this game mm -hmm. is ready to go, right? Um, and I only found this comment a couple weeks ago. It's from the marketing director, Jared, or he's not with the company anymore, but he was the marketing director at the time. So I guess this was, I 
is the reason he had permission to share this comment, but he says, um, unfortunately, on Tuesday, October 1st, we found it necessary to delay the launch of pre-orders for our newest title, Nancy Drew Midnight Salem. The two-week delay was due to many factors, but primarily was the result of our internal and external testing by, of the game by our fans and third-party testers. We received tremendous feedback about the game, but needed an additional two weeks in order to fully evaluate these valuable ins insights and implement any and all changes. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> so, yeah, my only only guess here is just that it was so bad morning of pre-orders that they had a meeting like at the time pre-orders were supposed to open and we're like we cannot give this game it, it it ended up being really bad as it was i can only imagine how bad it was that they were like we can't release this to say to use the phrase the phrase we received tremendous feedback means we received some serious feedback <laughs> This game is unplayable. Your fans will revolt and you'll lose all of them immediately. Yeah. Um, so then in December, uh, December 3rd, 2019, her does release Midnight in Salem, starring Brittany Cox, who's now the voice actor for Nancy. Um, it was twenty one ninety nine, um, But apparently her does not begin to ship pre-ordered physical copies of the game until this this day which means that customers that did pre-order the game don't receive it until two weeks later mm -hmm. <laughs> basically <Yep. laughs> meaning that it was basically pointless to pre-order the game um and when it does finally arrive fans find that the art on the box um, and the art on the disc were just unfinished right and yeah obviously the game was not well received by fans um, it's glitchy. It's just not up to the standard of previous Nancy Drew game as far as graphics goes. Um, it's just like a confusing storyline and a confusing plot. It's really hard to navigate. There are too few puzzles, too much dialogue, and just in generally, uh, generally, it's just really short. Um, her had advertised that the game had 15 plus hours of gameplay, but a lot of fans reported finishing the game their first playthrough in four to five hours. Also, unlike previous games, Midnight in Salem did not have a bonus edition for pre-orders. So yes, yeah, so literally no reason to pre-order the game unless you want to get the game like two weeks later than everybody else. <laughs> Um, right. yeah, sorry. I'm still, salty no, it's, about this. it's honestly, it's, uh, I mean, it's a lot to like, to, you know, make, to push the game so much over what was it? Four years, four and a half yeah, years of yeah. just, and also like throughout that, like not being open and honest about what's going on and not giving any information to deliver a game that is like, so deficient in quality especially compared to the game that we just got sea of darkness which was just such a really great game to Truly. get this after is honestly so like heartbreaking isn't like enough to justify what it felt like when you're like oh great i will say like at this point based on like everything else that we've experienced it was not surprising to any of us that this game was shit <laughs> <laughs> no we didn't ever expect it to come out right at all, but it was so just to have a, a terrible game was even it was surprising. Just further angering and further saddening that like this is the result of all of this over the past few years you know 
And if you're a video game person, but maybe you haven't played Nancy Drew before, you're probably like, it's not uncommon for games to take years to come out or have <laughs> These girls delays. are being dramatic. <laughs> I know. But it's just such a departure where we have this very consistent yeah. release schedule of yeah. two games per year, which admittedly is a lot, especially for this industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but constant communication from the company and the fans, they really put a lot of like work into accepting feedback and improving the games based on what fans wanted to all of a sudden shut down. Everyone's gone from the company fans. You don't matter to us. We don't care about your opinions. We don't even care if you care if this game comes out, we're just (laughs) trying to push this to make money. It just felt like a slap in the face. It just, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so in a Reddit post, an anonymous former her employee said that if they had actually been working on Midnight Salem for the entirety of the time since the release of Sea of Darkness, the game should have been 30 to 40 hours long. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Also, apparently most of the work on the game was outsourced to smaller game companies in Europe. Not that that's necessarily, like, bad or unusual, just that, like, if they actually contracted them like contracted with them you know since that 10 2016 letter like this wouldn't have happened you know right right exactly <laughs> yeah yeah it's not a bad thing to to outsource but it just takes so long to adjust to a new production schedule in that way that mm. yeah it just added to added to the issues i think right. um, so right. definitely an, a reason for some of the delays that I think that Mm -hmm. they had to go back and forth with these companies more times than they planned to, to say, you know, this doesn't really feel like the Nancy that our fans are expecting. We need it to be like this and just ended up delaying things further. That makes sense. So y'all, I got to the end of this game and they started talking about characters that I'd never heard of. I'd like, I'd never met some of these characters. Like how bad of a game is that, that you can get through without, encountering like half the plot or some of the characters that you're supposed to talk to that are essential to the gameplay well the only way i could get through that game was like basically literally following word by word a walkthrough that someone else had made like otherwise it's so impossible to try to figure out what it was that you were supposed to be doing mm-hmm. like what where you were supposed to go who were you supposed to talk to so many of the puzzles were impossible not because they were just challenging puzzles but because trying to click to get it to do the thing that you're trying to get it to do was hard which is like, yeah, (laughs) sorry, you know, yeah. So mm. the fact that the game was so linear and still hard to follow, (laughs) is really bad. And that there were so, so many difficult puzzles, but also so few puzzles in the game itself. Like there was only a handful of them. But when you did encounter one, you were stuck for quite a while just trying to get the right pixel to click on. And yeah, it was, yeah. Oof, it was disappointing. Alrighty, I guess we can move on from Midnight in Salem. Um, so traditionally, the each game would end with a trailer or a preview for the next game, a little advertisement. You would at least get the title, if not like a general concept and maybe some concept art of what that game was planned to be. There was no such trailer at the end of Midnight in Salem, although they were like, yeah, stay sleuthy. There's definitely another game coming. Don't worry about it. We'll, we'll let you know, which, um, of course, that was... December 2019 so we're a good two and a half years out from that now and still Mm -hmm. they're saying that another game is coming out but nothing yet 
Um, so moving ahead a little bit in time here, in July of 2020, following the Black Lives Matters protests of, 20, of, of summer 2020 and some backlash from fans at the time, her does decide to discontinue game number 20, which is Ransom of the Seven Ships, due to the culprit disguising himself as a different race, which we will definitely have to talk about when, when we cover Ransom of the Seven Ships. Oh, yeah. Well, especially because what you you said... <laughs> That because they were advertising a sale for the game, Ransom of Seven Ships, directly oh, yeah, after George Floyd's death. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, uh, <laughs> if you're not familiar, uh, without spoiling it too much, there is a suspect who doesn't darken his skin color but wears a wig with dreadlocks mm-hmm. and speaks with a specific accent and tries to portray himself as a different race. You might say that's not blackface, but it's still it's still really bad. Whether it's in or not the spirit you think, of it. It's definitely in the spirit of it. Well and I do think that like up to a certain point in the game, obviously we he's the culprit and he's disguising mm-hmm. himself. And so we don't know who he is. Like we don't know that he is disguising himself. We don't know mm-hmm. that he is the quote unquote bad guy. Although <laughs> In the game, and you make this point all the time, Corey, he's the only suspect, pretty much. But so it becomes like, you don't know that he's the bad guy until, until you know, supposedly until the end. And so up until this point, you don't, you don't get any of that context. You know what I mean? Right. Until right. you realize like, oh, wait, this guy was doing what? Um, mm-hmm. And so then it just becomes like a lot to try to uh, understand and <laughs> unpack. I'm very much in favor of them pulling this game. I think that there were probably other things that they should have done at the same time as well, mm. if they wanted to continue in the spirit of supporting these these protests, but Goes at least off. they did this. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, they have one of their least popular games that does cultural appropriation, and then we have one of our most popular mm-hmm. games that does game on a plantation without any reference to slavery. Um, and so, of course, they pull the less popular game, right. but didn't didn't ever make any sort of acknowledgement toward the uh, the themes in, in the Ghost of Thornton Hall. Either. What a fantastic point, Corey. <laughs> oh, uh, I, I mean... I like that game, yeah. Ghost of Horton Hall. I would have preferred it be set literally anywhere else. I think it was very wrong the way that they handled setting a game on a plantation. Yeah. But they they should have discontinued that one as well, in my opinion. I think that it was wrong that they didn't, but we can save that for our next episode. Yeah. We sure Sorry. can. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm getting way too into the details here. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so then... Going back to our timeline. Right. In 2021... You know, her lets their office space lease expire um, and whoever is left on the team begins working remotely and they now have P.O. Box address. But obviously, you know, this is probably a lot to do with the pandemic um, and probably also to save money. So it's not super unusual. A lot of companies have done that in that time period. I think it was a good idea. Honestly, it saves them money. Mm -hmm. But they do also do a huge overhaul of the website, which is kind of weird. (laughs) Interesting, though. Um, right. Interesting. But it's just kind of confusing as to, you know, why would you overhaul the website right now? Um, if you're not really generating that kind of income, shouldn't your income, any income have be going to your next game development? Right. 
Uh, I mean, then in June of 2021, Kalina Herman, Little Jackalope, uh, it, who is the last of the original team, uh, leaves her interactive. Then Corey. <laughs> <laughs> and then in uh, October of 2021, so very recently, Chaz versus Jazz, who that's her username on both Reddit and Instagram, and I think YouTube as well. She's actually one of our patrons. Ah! So hi, Chaz. Hope you're doing well. She's an amazing detective, I will say. Also, she has taught herself to play a lot of the songs from the games on the piano, and she posts those on her YouTube channel. So definitely go check her out, because she's got some really cool content. Talented. Uh, But she was just digging around one day, and she discovered that her interactive had trademarked the phrase, Mystery of the Seven Keys. Um, This is significant because they've never trademarked a game title before, and I kind of have to assume that this is a game title, because like, what else would Mm. it be? You know, maybe it's like a new series. Uh, Maybe it's not a Nancy Drew game. It's just another mystery game. But we can hope, we can hold out hope that this might be in D34. Um, And according to someone on on the subreddit who was posting about this, and they're familiar with copyright and patents and all that, and trademarks as well, um, apparently this move was likely done in in order to help secure funding for a future game. Um, Apparently you can only trademark something up to three years before it's planned to go on sale. So we can kind of assume that if this is a new game, it's likely less than three years away. And they do continue to claim that this game is in the works, but they haven't confirmed anything about Mystery of the Seven Keys specifically. Um, They just say, stay sweet. So what are your thoughts? What do you think is next for them? I'm not confident, Corey. You know. I'm not I mean, you know my opinion. I just, I... Yeah. You've got nobody working for you. I mean, like, what do you, like... Is it just going to be Midnight in Salem Part 2? Is it going to be that quality again? Right. Even if we are to get another game, even if it's going to be another Nancy Drew game, which we have, you know, you know, hope for, even if it were going to be that, what kind of Nancy Drew game are we going to get? I mean, we can hope, we can sincerely hope that they have learned from their mistakes from Midnight in Salem. But even if that, even if that is the case, it'll just be an improved version of Midnight in Salem, which is not what a lot of people want. I mean, I know that I certainly don't want that. What I want and what I miss um, is the original nostalgia that I have from the original Nancy Drew PC games. And it's just like, when you switched engines, like, I'm sorry, but like this, this Unity engine is not is not the engine that we want. Right. <laughs> like it was not what was like, it was not successful. And you, you had such a good thing going. You had such a good thing going. Why did you feel the need to change it? It's just disappointing. Right. It's just disappointing. And so, yeah, so I'm not confident in a new game, even if it's, it is better than midnight in Salem. It's not going to be what I want. I don't think and that doesn't mean I'm not going to play it. it comes out of course I'm gonna play it and let y'all know how it is but like if it is if it is right but yeah I don't know what about you Corey yeah same I'm uh, I'm not holding my breath for a new game if like like you said if it is anything it's probably gonna be Midnight in Salem style again that's not what we're used to Um, And I don't know, again, I'm not a technical expert. I don't know very much about Unity itself, but I have read that it is possible to create a game in Unity that looks just like what we're used to with games 1 through 32. Like, you can make that style of games in Unity. It's not Unity's fault that Midnight Salem was so bad, you know? We just don't have people working on it that had the passion and care 
sure. for it that the original team did. And I say original yeah. team, there was many iterations of that over the years, of course, but all mm-hmm. generally with people who loved and cared about these games. And that's why they were making them. It wasn't just profit for them, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we shall see. I certainly hope that her interactive isn't going away forever. I hope that they are planning to return to what what we know and love, but I will I'll believe it when I see it. You know, I, I I you know, you said you hope her interactive is around forever and while of course I want more Nancy Drew games and this is my personal opinion. Um I don't know that I do want her interactive to be around forever. (laughs) Part of me feels like, okay, well, you know, we are where we are and we've kind of gone downhill to a significant amount. So Mm -hmm. maybe it's time to close that chapter (laughs) um, and maybe allow somebody else to give it a go. You know what I mean? I, uh, not that that can't be her interactive, but like from, from what we've seen from that company and the kind of leadership that I think we suspect that it is under is, is not something that sounds like a really great (laughs) business, you know, gotta be honest. Like if, if there is another game developer out there that like wants to take a chance on Nancy Drew, I really wish that they can have that opportunity, you know? Um, so that we can see maybe like what somebody else imagines Nancy Drew to be like, and maybe that'll be better. That'll you know? be cool. Yeah. Somebody who's actually going to care and love these games because right. they love Nancy and they love mysteries and they mm-hmm. want to continue that same spirit of the original 32. And I think that there's other ways that they could be making money that they're not exploring. Like oh, yeah. I've seen so many fans ask for like an app or something mm-hmm. where we could play mini games. Like imagine if you could just play Scopa and Fox yeah. and Geese on your phone or aggregation or something like right. I would pay $5 for that easily or ads. I mean, let ads run and yeah, an exactly. Yeah. I would pay a lot of money to have like they made, um, they ported ghost of Thornton hall to like Kindle and Android apps where you can play that on your your phone or your Kindle or whatever, or your tablet. I have that. I would pay good money to have all the games portable like that, where yeah. I could play them on my phone. I would pay good money to rebuy all the games if they were remastered so that they would at least work on modern day computers. Cause side note, a lot of these games mm-hmm. don't function very well on, right. on the newest models of computers just cause they're so old. I mean, you can't expect a game from 1998 to stay usable forever. Right. And I know that they did remaster secrets and kill but it you know, put your efforts toward that. There's a fan out there who, and I, I'm so, I apologize to you. I don't know your name. I think her name's Julia, but um, she remastered Treasure in the Royal Tower just as a passion project. She just did this herself <laughs> and it's absolutely gorgeous. It beautiful. Get her on your team, pay her some money, remake these games. People will buy them. I yeah. like, there's things that they could be doing that I don't, maybe they have explored them and I just don't. Right. No, they just haven't announced it. Right. But it seems like they could be doing a lot more than saying 50% off, you know, like whatever, like national ice cream day, come make a parfait in Paris. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just seems like they're not doing as much as they could to realize their full potential as a company. Yeah. And I'm not a marketing expert by any means, but yeah, now I'm just ranting. <laughs> 
Um, so I was going to say, Corey, that oh, yeah? um, there are a couple other companies that have made Nancy Drew games, and that is Majesco mm-hmm. and THQ. They both made games on uh, Nintendo DS, so that's very exciting. Maybe we should check yeah. those out, Corey. Yes. <laughs> Along with Treasure in the Tracks, because right. that's also Nintendo DS, right. so we'll have to have a little Nintendo DS party and <laughs> fish out our old consoles. But um, yeah, any other speculation you have about the future, or just think, things you might like to see from them in the future? Oh man, I feel like at this point, it's like speculation does not feel fun. You know what I mean? Okay, fair enough. <laughs> it's fair like, enough. It's like, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, I could speculate, but like, it, it it would feel like setting myself up for disappointment. <laughs> you know? Fair enough. You very know? fair. Very, very fair. Yeah. So, eh. what about you? No, I just, I would like to see reimagining of the old games. Like I said, if they remastered yeah. them, I would 100% buy them. You know, if they wanted to get into other consoles, like if they wanted to do a PlayStation game, I'm sure, I mean, I've, I don't have a PlayStation. <laughs> I've never played PlayStation, but I'm sure lots of fans would be interested in that and yeah. they would play that. So I, I think that there's lots of things that they could do that aren't necessarily what they've already done and still have fans that are interested in, and want to play those games. Yeah. For sure. Um, well, we do have a little list of shelved projects that were kind of planned in the past and never got made. Do you want to run through that really quickly? Because sure. I think some of these are kind of interesting. Um, so there are two games that we've kind of already talked about that were planned for PC but were never made. The first of which is the dossier game Ship of Shadows, which would have had a 2010 release. Um, and then, of course, Midnight in Salem on the proprietary engine, um, which as we said, was scrapped in favor of starting over using Unity. Um, apparently, the, the final game of what we have now is really dissimilar to what the her the original her team had originally planned and had started working on. So, I don't know. Maybe we pretend like Midnight in Salem never happened, and they just start over using what was already made and give us what we were promised back in 2015. I would love. That. I would love that because <laughs> I'm sure it would have been way better than than what we got. Um, apparently there was a mobile mysteries game for iPad. Is it called Castle Finster? Mm-hmm. Okay. So way back, I think like 2010, they made one for Shadow Ranch that was like a book, but interactive. So it wasn't like playing the game on an iPad. It was just like a book version that was based off of the game, but set, set in the same universe, but it wasn't just the story of, of the game that we have. Mm-hmm. So they were making something, it was kind of like a prequel to Captive Curse, I believe, okay. called Cap- Castle Fenster, and it was going to be kind of the same idea, but Interesting. of course never got made. Um, and then we have a few ports of the games, if you want to run through this list. Sure. Go ahead. So they're, um, we're going to port Secrets Can Kill on the Game Boy Advance. And then they were going to port Haunted Carousel and Last Train to Bloomin' Canyon as a DVD game, which is mm-hmm. interesting. They did um, Blackmore Manor as a DVD game. Which, that oh. did get made. So Didn't know that one. Haunting of Castle Malloy was going to be a Wii game, and then they were going to port Tomb of Lost Queen and Silent Spies mobile games for Android, Kindle, and iOS. Yeah. They did actually have a Kickstarter campaign for the Tomb of the Lost Queen one, and then it I, I guess they didn't reach their goal, so they gave up on it, and then just assumed that fans didn't want that. Like, they didn't want app games, so I think that maybe that's part of why we don't have as many on mm. apps. 
Um, but yeah, what could have been? Oh, <laughs> so girl power, <laughs> obsession, disappointment. <laughs> yeah. Good summary. Good summary. Yeah. It's too bad that we have to land in the disappointment. <laughs> With like the smallest glimmer of hope that it really is not even warranted, probably, but mm-hmm. that's all right. We can still replay, and we absolutely have and absolutely will oh, continue yeah. to do so. Replay our old beloved games, and we will talk about them to you guys. So thank you for riding this this wave with us <laughs> and <laughs> sticking around for the whole story. Yeah. Speaking of future, I mean, speaking of replaying the games, episode 31, Corey. Mm-hmm. You want to tell them yeah. what we're going to play next? <laughs> we are going to be playing... Ghost of Thornton Hall. Mm-hmm. Oh boy! Yes. So we did Game briefly mention that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we did briefly mention that when we were talking about them discontinuing Ransom of the Seven Ships and maybe choices they should have made but didn't make in response to Black Lives Matter protests. So we will definitely be discussing that as well um, mm-hmm. next episode. <laughs> And also all the things that we love about the game. Yes. Because it, it, there's too many things not, not to mention. It's, it's a, a great game. game. It is a great game. It truly is. can be problematic, yes. and we'll talk about it, but yes. a good Don't game. <laughs> <laughs> so. so join us then, regular Drews. Yeah, we'll see you then. Thank you for listening to Regular Nancy Drew. Email us at regularnancydrew at gmail.com. If you like this episode, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also follow us on Instagram at regularnancydrew and Twitter at regularnd. You can also support us on Patreon. Patrons at the $3 level vote on upcoming episode topics and get exclusive access to our Scoop Sesh series. And all patrons receive early access to each episode as well as weekly bonus content. And to all you regular Drews out there, thanks for listening. listening.